Hello, hello, and welcome to the Hometown Daily News Show, Season 2, Episode 112 for April 22nd, 2023. Earth Day is out of this world. And here's a quick rundown of the articles we'll be talking about tonight. AI is eliminating jobs. They're turking our gerbs. Unreleased Mac show up in Apple's uh, Find My ahead of WWDC 2023. CD Projekt uh, Red's lead quest designer drops, well, a quest that's going to end in a wall, I guess. I, we'll talk about it. It's not hard to feel sorry for the overshadowed 1992 Dune game. Well, I don't know. Talking about it nowadays is pretty much feeling sorry for it. We'll talk about it more. Here are the most and least environmentally friendly states. Nearly 70% of older gamers say they're an afterthought in video game development surveys. Activists gather for Earth Day and urge action to avoid dystopian future. After California's heavy rains, gold seekers are giddy. A couple spent $48,000 to convert their Portland, Oregon home to net zero. They say the future is efficient and renewable. Research on 2,400 languages shows nearly half the world's languages uh, diversity is at risk. And, oh, I have to say it. A drug suspect takes the high road and makes off with the sheriff's meth after a sting fails. That silence you hear after that is the AI shaking its head. Let's get into today's articles. Hello, hello. Hey, you know what? The formatting is off. Uh, okay, now I have closure. So today has been a really hectic day. I'm going to go through the news as fast as uh, possible, I suppose. And uh, we'll we'll talk about uh, what needs to be uh, spoken about. But um, yeah, it, today's kind of been a, a hectic day here in Ometown. So I'll try again. I say this pretty much every episode, I think. I'll try not to soapbox, but I don't know. Content sometimes gets me triggered. So what say you? Anything um, exciting going on that you want to talk about? Um, no. <laughs> I. It's also been a, quite a day, so. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we're we're a little beat here in hometown. So let's let's at least just get uh, the show going and introduce you to some interesting articles. Obviously, uh, if you have been here before or listened to this via the podcast, um, you know that you can go to hometown.showbot.tv and get all of the articles. It's also in the show notes. Um, it's in the VOD for 60 days. And then, you know, I really wish that uh, Twitch would do long-term storage like YouTube. It actually could be a competitor to YouTube with all the content that's made. But... Um, <clears throat> If after 60 days, if you want to go back and look at the archive, um, you'll have to go to YouTube. It's just the way that it is. Um, or the podcast, you'll only get the, the audio of the podcast. Maybe I should break that out as a video podcast too. via, well, I mean, 
that's YouTube. So YouTube has podcasts now. Okay. Well, anyway, let's get into the articles and uh, keep moving forward. So the very first article for today is a long one that was aggregated um, and that'll get fixed. But I thought it was really interesting when I saw it. I knew I had to have it in the articles um, for today. It's in the Late Night Geeks channel. It's from TechCrunch. As AI eliminates jobs, a way to keep people afloat financially, and it's not UBI, which is universal basic income. And if you don't know what universal basic income is, uh, people pay taxes. That money gets divvied up amongst everybody so that you get a baseline stipend for all of society. And if you don't need it, then you don't get it. And a little bit more goes to the people who don't have a job don't have knowledge, skills, or abilities that are applicable to any domain that makes them self-sufficient, even at a basic income. Makes sense? Well, a whole lot of people are seeing the writing on the wall as we automate, um, industrialize further, and uh, technology moves in on humans and takes our jobs. So let's just go over to the TechCrunch article. Uh, Connie Loizo, Loizos, Loizos, I think that's how they pronounce their name, um, writes this article uh, for techcrunch.com. And it starts out in Silicon Valley. Some of the brightest minds believe in universal basic income that guarantees people unrestricted cash payments to help them survive and thrive. I uh, see. I don't know about thrive. Um, as advanced technologies eliminate more careers as we know them from white collar and creative jobs, lawyers, journalists, artists, software engineers to labor roles. Although labor is not going to be as impacted by automation. If the labor roles they're talking about are, you know, manual labor technology will eventually, but it's seen right now as extremely expensive to do industrial size operations using anything other than human capital, except that that human capital is treated like a machine, <laughs> which is kind of ironic. Um, so I did a little experiment and um, I asked uh, chat GPT to uh, become a social economist. And I know the answer to this already because I've done my own research. I talk to people, I lecture people on this topic and, um, lo and behold, the AI itself told me exactly what I tell other people. Um, and I frame it as a social economist because, uh, a a pure economist is going to look at just the numbers, not necessarily the human aspects of it. So we tie this together with sociology and society, and we refer to it as social economists or economic social economics. So they say, um, and this is a quote from chat GPT, and I, I don't even need to really get into this article that much. Um, because it will go on to say what I am saying, but maybe in a little bit different way. Um, but it says, 
It can say with increasing use of artificial intelligence and automation in the workplace. Now, my question was, what can humans do to make money when artificial intelligence takes the jobs available? I did not mention automation. All I did was mention artificial intelligence. So it already expanded this into the automation side of things because that's the real impactor. Artificial intelligence is a paperweight. It can't do anything unless somebody else takes that IP and runs with it, that information and runs with it, that construction, whatever it is, and runs with it. But with automation, that's where jobs disappear. Um, so it says, and automation in the workplace is likely to have significant impacts on the job market in coming years. However, it is important to note that while some jobs may be replaced by machines, new jobs are likely to be created in areas such as programming, maintenance, and other technology related fields. See now 10 years ago, and now it's me talking and not the quote anymore, but there's much more here that I will continue on. And this is my, this is, I always start out with a big soapbox kind of a thing. And, and uh, unfortunately this is actually quite a big hefty discussion. And, um, if the AI wants to throw in, uh, some commentary, feel free. You know, I, I never stop the AI. Um, so what I say to people, um, is you think that AI and automation is going to take jobs. And we always, as humans rationalize this as, um, well, all you have to do is retool and there's another job out there for you. Right. 10 years ago, CGP gray wrote in, uh, uh, did a video on YouTube called humans need not apply. And it's basically been a steadfast and a pillar, an anchor. It's been a focal point uh, in, in my life because it seemed to congeal or distill down into a 10 minute video, exactly what I've been telling people. And it drew one line in the sand, which was, for whatever reason, when it comes to human beings, we always rationalize, well, we'll automate and we'll do something and it'll take jobs, but there's other jobs out there. Well, I hate to break it to you. Just like in the video, the horse became unemployable because it didn't get needed anymore. It, there's no more horses in the workplace, except, you know, maybe in a ranch somewhere. And even then you could jump on a quad runner and go racing out much faster out to some far flung area of a farm. Granted, you know, some people will say this or that about that level of automation, but suffice it to say, horses are no longer in great demand because they don't function at the speed of life anymore. So when automation, sorry, we, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's true. And we've had the opportunity to actually witness that, right? That's different than a hypothesis. We've seen it occur. It, it has happened. Um, 
starting before our lives, but it was already that the, uh, the path was already set Yeah, the demise of horses in towns had already been completed, you know, a hundred years ago. So what this article continues to say, and I'll go back to the results from my, uh, chat with chat GPT. They talk about lawyers, journalists, artists, software engineers. Unfortunately, the quality of the work that AI spits out has to be verified by a subject matter expert. So what everybody gets ramped up to be with knowledge, skills, and abilities is basically taking what might come out of an artificial intelligence and lands on their desk, these new experts, and they have to verify what gets punched out by an AI, regardless of how good the AI is. You can't trust an AI because it's built on its large language model. And if the large language model is false, somebody else has to have liability in an enterprise. And you're never going to get an AI speaking for an attorney. You're never going to get an artist saying, I did all of my stuff with an AI and people saying, all I love is that AI artists work because they're going to love the artist, not just their, their AI generated work. They want the artist that's what they right they want to get behind the person yeah um by the way i looked up because i thought i wonder how long the progression took from horses to cars and i found an article in scientific american that said it was only a decade yeah where it really converted which is really astounding to me because it's such a monumental shift um anyway i just wanted to throw that in there Yep. And it's been more than 30 years since I first engaged with people in the AI space. And back then they described it to me as AI is basically a four month old. And that was 30 years ago. So imagine what they are now. Um, and this is the public facing side of it, right? The AI that we are dealing with is the public facing research side. The this right. is the Think of what's behind the scenes, right? Yep. This is the practical. Think of the tactical. And I know that I'm really digging into this article because it's actually very, very important. And it's um, it's big. I mean, it's not just important, but it's big. This actually impacts so many jobs. But for the human component of it, doing nothing more than verifying the results from the AI. Almost. Well, I think it, uh, it'll affect our way of life too, not just our careers, because think about all the interactions we have with, you know, person to person, how much of that in the future will be say person to AI or even AI to AI. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine having two AIs talking to each other? Because you mash a button and you're like, okay, look, I don't want to sit there and deal with what the AI is spitting out. So I'm going to run my AI against that AI. And, you know, you call for a tech support thing and you just launch your AI to get the results that you want. 
That way you can you know leave. What? That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly if it's in the voicemail, uh, you know, phone tree where it's like press. Or on a website. Seven for help or whatever. You know, the little window that pops up. Do you need tech support? And you, you say, yeah, sure. And you type in what the problem is. That's all AI. And we talked about that, that somebody, um, had interacted. Oh, it was what the DoorDash driver oh. who was in an accident. Yeah, the DoorDash driver. Yeah. And the DoorDash help bot basically said, hey, uh, get your wife to do it. Right. Which we figured it had to have been an AI. Yeah. Right? I can't imagine. I would love the follow up of that. Maybe maybe I'll have to get into the uh, um, actual the journalistic side of things and, and make a phone call to DoorDash and go, hey, was it a bot or was it a human that actually typed that message in? Huh? Cause the, I don't think in the article they talked about it, but it, there's so much that's being automated because the large language model is developed off of human to human and then human to bot interactions that go well beyond the, the human to human, because it's so expensive to have human to human interactions. Now there's so many bots out there that are simultaneously helping a multitude of people at a cost benefit. That's just massive. And you end up with ever increasing amounts of data, making it more efficient, more effective, more capable. We're literally training AI to take our jobs in society. Yes. Hey, I have to share a quick note about AI. Something reminded me of it. Um, so somebody, um, was chatting on the, you know, on a help desk kind of thing. And I said to them, I think it's probably an AI. And they said, well, they had a first name of whatever it was. And I said, well, <laughs> doesn't mean it's not an AI. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, the point is people don't even necessarily recognize that it's an AI. It's not that it was so sophisticated. It's just if you see a name or something, you don't necessarily think you're talking to a computer. Oh, yeah. I, I've had I've had text based conversations with people where they have an American name. But the way that they were communicating with me, I asked, are are you really from the States? And they're like, Oh no, I'm in India. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I got it. Cause they used a turn of phrase that, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but they used a turn of phrase that I just never have heard anybody in the United States, uh, make, but it was the way that they constructed that sentence. Um, so it was interesting and, uh, I, the problem still got solved, but, uh, whatever, you know, now it's going to be a bot. So, the thing about it is, and it's what I tell people, automation technology, it might get a virus. It might have a technical breakdown, but it takes one person to fix something that can solve the problem for a multitude of people. Whereas a human that gets sick or tired, has a bad day, breaks up with their significant other, finds out that they're being audited um, their car breaks down or they're in rush hour traffic and they got so mad that they jump out of their car and kick the first cat they see, whatever it might be, they're a human 
and they have a bad attitude from time to time, or they're irrationally exuberant and they go the other way. Or they're distracted, or they're not at their best performance. Right. Or, or stoned, or whatever. It just doesn't matter. Uh, we are complex. Whereas the complexity of tech gets linear real fast, simply by directing it to solve X, Y, and Z problems. So the problem here is that at some point, this AI is going to take more and more jobs. So here's the basic premise based on this article. And then I'll go back to my, um, my discussion with chat GPT, and then we'll move on real quick. Um, haha, real quick, uh, real quick TM, you know, this is not words. <laughs> yes. This, this is not a guaranteed real quick. Um, so here's the basic premise right now. The art, the article is saying this, not me. Here's the basic premise right now. We mostly give our data for free in exchange for free services. Lanier argues or Lanier argues that in the age of AI, we need to stop doing this, that the powerful models currently working their way into society need instead to be connected with the humans who give them so much to ingest and learn from in the first place. The idea is for the people to quote, get paid for what they create, even when it is filtered and recombined into something that's unrecognizable. The concept isn't brand new, uh, with, uh, Lanier or Lanier, um, first introducing the notion of data dignity in a 2018 Harvard business review piece titled a blueprint for a better digital society. Um, they wrote at the time with a co-author and economist, Glenn Whale, uh, or while it's W E Y L quote rhetoric from the tech sector suggests a coming wave of underemployment due to artificial intelligence and automation end quote. But the predictions of UBI advocates leave, again, quote, leave room for only two outcomes end quote, and they're extreme Lanier and whale observed again, quote, Either there will be a mass, there will be mass poverty despite technological advances or much wealth will have to be taken under uh, central national control through a social wealth fund to provide citizens a universal basic income. And that's the end of the quote. So I'm probably going to end up reading this. I swear I've read this before, um, but I yeah, thought that I feel it, like I'm familiar with the title. I don't think I've actually read the piece, but I also find it interesting that that's five years old. And the reason I think that's interesting is think how much further along this path we are because things um, progress kind of exponentially. Yeah, so it took uh, a rather mechanical plodding path, 10 years for the horse to be replaced by the car fully right right yeah technology had already been moving pretty damn fast so when was the trigger for was it five years ago when this article was written because that's pretty much when a lot of uh, first movers start writing research papers uh, based on social forces um, or economic forces, they go, oh, this is something that's right on the forefront. We better write something. Let's publish something. Um, and so five years sounds about right for the pivot where things start becoming reality. But I really doubt anybody was sitting around uh, 
back when the horses were being replaced going, it is everybody moving over to cars right now? Uh, a lot of consumers probably said, hey, you know, the neighbors have a, a car. We should get a car and keeping up with the Joneses. Um, but this is actually kind of insidious, right? It's happening right under our noses. The technology right. is growing based on our inputs, right? Um, and so it could be right here, right now, ready to take all of the jobs. And it largely is. The automation part truly is. Not the AI part. The AI, the AI part requires a human to verify and validate what is being spit out. But the automation part, empowered by AI, sure. But the automation part, that's what's going to be taking jobs. And that the only way to fix that is UBI, because you're going to have to train all of the people to go into a digital or tech-driven industry because... Automation is taking the more manual labor jobs. Even a house can be 3D printed in it. And I, I watched a video where the, the techs for the 3D printing company were kind of chuckling. Well, no, it's not going to be taking jobs because you have to have this person and that person and this subcontractor and that subcontractor. Yeah, 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 sure. But it, it's their expertise, their specialty, right? You're going to have to have the electrician because the 3D printer can't print copper wires, not yet. Um, the plumber can't run the, uh, the, the printer can't run the plumbing and get it all certified and cleared uh, by building code and inspectors. And the inspectors have to come. So that can't be bot driven. But my point is, all of the other laborers that are involved in building a house with you know, sticks and nails, those people are now unemployed when a 3D printing gantry gets installed and bangs out a house in 48 hours or maybe longer. I don't know. Um, it really depends on the quality and size and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so they're, in this article, they're arguing what appears to be that you get a piece of the action for the information that's being used that you provide. But that's an untenable position. Because that's how I read this, right? Yeah, I read that the same way. Yeah, I don't. I'm not quite sure how that would work. Yeah, so it says unsurprisingly, regulators are grappling with what to do. OpenAI, whose technology is particular or in particular, is spreading like wildfire, is already in the crosshairs of a growing number of countries, including the Italian authority, which has blocked the use of its popular chat GPT chatbot. Um, French, German, Irish, and Canadian data regulators are also investigating how it collects and uses data. I have no problem with it collecting and using data because all it's doing is using what's publicly available or what can be purchased um, through various what fire hose or whatever else sources. If it, if I can learn a language like French, German, Irish, whatever, by interacting with people, why can't an uh, an AI do the same thing? Touché. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with copyright. Why can't? A copyright be assigned to the creator that uses the tool 
Now, I've had this conversation. I've read what people are writing about it, and they say, well, it's because it's all automated and blah, 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 but so is a camera. The only thing that changes is you're pointing the lens at something. And with my syntax being the, the thing that focuses the creative process, I am basically mashing the button on a camera and the string that I send to the uh, mid journey or stable diffusion or whatever, that is the focal length and the aperture and the lighting in the room and whatever else. I'm the one that's directing it. So why aren't I the one that's getting the copyright? So I, I would happily argue that in front of the Supreme Court. Um, okay, so this article continues on and at the end, it says it might all boil down to establishing a new creative class instead of a new dependent class, he writes. And um, you'll have to back up over all of this uh, to get the full gist of this outside of what we are discussing. Um, and which would you prefer to be a part of? So we're getting now the impetus of a class struggle between technology and creators instead of embracing it as nothing more than a tool and giving everybody rights. It's so enabling and empowering that a person who doesn't know how to paint something would be able to use a tool that teaches them or gives them the ability to be creative. And it doesn't take away from other artists because if anything, it will amplify the value of a human constructed piece of artwork by those who are willing to pay for. So instead of you pumping out an, uh, a, a picture and it's only worth $350, now a painting, an original, would be worth $3,500 or $35,000 because there's an AI that is creating mediocre work that might be part and parcel to other people's work, but that work only comes with real value when it's the original from the artist. And as long as these bots, these artificial intelligence, like mid journey and stable diffusion and others, as long as the people who use them, exploit them, don't claim that they're the originals from said artist, wherein it's fraud. If they do, I have absolutely no problem with it. It's again, akin to me learning how to paint. But you wouldn't stop somebody that has some other issue going on in their life from learning how to paint, right? No, right. if they get inspiration from somebody and they don't have, let's say they don't have arms, they don't have hands, they can't paint. This is absolutely empowering. So I just see that art, artificial intelligence and automation shouldn't be coupled together as being this big job killer. Automation alone is the one that's taking jobs. Artificial intelligence is just empowering. It's just like all other tools, you know, it can be used to cause great harm, but that's not what's happening here. Um, and I'm on both sides of this because I, I do create stuff, you know, I, 
behind the scenes on, on, on this side of the camera, I've created hundreds of products and services. Um, several of which are sitting on deck waiting for me to refocus so that I can launch them. But at any rate, um, yeah, I mean, I believe in the creative process. I'm the, per I'm the idea guy as I've been labeled, um, for decades now. Um, I've just come to the realization that you can't just be an idea guy. You have to have the tools and capabilities to bring it to market and automation and AI and all kinds of stuff does exactly that. Now it's time to exploit it. So just to bring it back to the chat GPT discussion, and I really will rifle through the rest of these articles because this one was just got me and I wanted to say something and it turned into a really long-term conversation. Um, but the well, an interesting article and an interesting topic. I think TechCrunch frequently has ones like this. Yeah, um, I agree. That's why we started um, aggregating the content. I'm not sure why they provide so much um, in their snippet, but um, I'll remedy that. At any rate, it says in order to make money in an, and this is back to my conversation with ChatGPT. Um, in order to make money in an AI dominated job market, it will be important for individuals to develop new skills and stay up to date with emerging technologies. This may involve pursuing education and training in areas such as data analysis, programming, and other fields related to technology and automation. Again, it brought up automation, not me. Um, additionally, there are many jobs that require skills that cannot be uh, easily automated or replaced by AI, such as social and emotional intelligence, creativity, interpersonal skills. Uh, these are skills, uh, or sorry, these skills will continue to be valuable in the job market and individuals who possess them may find that they have more opportunities available to them. And this is again, something that I really push um, starting at an early age, building uh, social skills, being able to communicate and, and form a cogent statement from vapor, you know, not sit there and have to ponder for a long period of time and write it out just to have a cogent statement. You should be able to develop your uh, mental aptitude to the point where you can vamp for 35 minutes at the drop of a hat anyway so um overall is the last paragraph overall the key to success in an ai dominated job market will be adaptability and a willingness to learn new skills by staying ahead of the curve and continuing to develop in-demand skills individuals can position themselves to succeed in a rapidly changing job market The other option is that you don't and you move to where the people can't afford to replace humans with AI and technology, but those locations will dwindle further and further away from a livable wage and being an ongoing concern. You probably start with Wyoming. Um, but. Did you want to add anything else to this? Because I think that um, we could probably go on to the next article. 
I think we should move to the next article, but I think this was a very interesting one. Sounds Worth good to the me. time that was spent on it. Wonderful. Let's go. So the next article is over in Smack Talk. Unreleased Mac show up in Apple's Find My ahead of WWDC 2023. The authors of this article have a little snippet that says, we've been hearing a lot of rumors about new Macs coming in the next few months, although some of them are conflicting. But now it seems that Apple itself has unintentionally confirmed that there are new Macs on the way. That's because Find My configuration files are showing identifiers for unreleased Macs. Now I'm really curious if any of these are going to be the fabled glasses. So 9to5mac.com, Philippe Esposito is the author. And um, let's see, I won't go rifling through all of the parts or the numbers or whatever it is that people are rumored about, but it says that there are three unreleased Macs, Mac 14.8, 14.13, 14.14. It says it's hard to say what uh, Mac computer each of these models is. Uh, only desktop Macs are listed in this file since they're the only ones that are not compatible with uh, Find My's uh, left behind feature. Um, and that's actually a really neat feature, by the way. Um, I ignored that and thought that my iPad had been taken. Um, so it says one thing to keep in mind, starting with M2, every Mac having that chip is identified as Mac 14.x. For instance, Mac mini M2 is 14 comma three while M2 Pro Mac Mini is 14,12, and so on. So this is kind of interesting. So are there going to be M3 or M2 MacBooks out there? So these are all 14,8, 14, 13, 14, 14. So are they going to come out with an M3 this soon after the M2? Uh, hasn't it only been what a year yeah it seems like it hasn't been very long i don't know um oh it looks like yeah, yeah 2022 so but they know. could be you know i mean apple is basically new every two and so if the new iteration is a riff off of the m1 maybe they're i don't know i just don't know i really uh it, it doesn't make any sense. Like the M1 was a thing, but I think that it was underpowered. So they immediately launched the M2 and maybe their development cycle affords them the ability to take their older tech and pump it up to M3 um, and then get into a cycle. But you want a new chip coming out every year so that the people that are on the tick versus the talk are always getting something every year. People are, it's constantly, you know, pouring money into the ecosystem, um, which is definitely that, that whole thing is all Apple, you know, they change one thing and you have to get a whole new case and a different power uh, adapter. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and you know, the, iPhone is still not USB-C, so I think that's probably coming uh, before anything else does. I'm waiting for those glasses. You remember the price? 
Oh, I do. $3,000. $3,000. Before I move on, I didn't throw the articles into the chat, so I'm going to throw the articles into the chat so that you can follow them over to Omtown. You can sign up, become a citizen, leave a comment. Um, You'll always be able to visit the source, even if you are not uh, signed in or um, a citizen of Omtown. And really, if you're here and you're hanging out in chat or you're downloading the podcast or listening or watching the YouTube channel, you're a citizen uh, in, in my heart. You're still a citizen. Um, at any rate, unreleased Mac show up and Apple's find my head of WWDC 2023. I'm pretty excited about that kind of stuff. I have a little bit of every uh, denomination of technology from Android to Chromebook to Linux and virtual machines and just I got a little of everything. What can I say? I'm platform agnostic. The only thing that I don't do is console gaming. Um, I I've just never bought a console, um, at least not for myself. I've I've bought consoles for other people because uh, you know, some console gaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do. Okay, so let's move on. Let's let's go on to the next article. So the next article is something that I grabbed yesterday, uh, late yesterday after our last show, um, because I thought that this was shocking to hear. It's in the Warcrafters channel. Um, which is again, another show that I want to bring to Twitch. It says we're running at an effing wall and we're going to crash CD projects, lead quest designer on big budget RPGs. Can you imagine it? Uh, this is like saying the quiet part out loud. Exactly. Recent, <laughs> and this is from PC gamer, by the way. So um, recent PC gamer editorial, the cinematic Bioware style RPG is dead. It just doesn't know it yet caused quite a commotion between the lead designers at developer CD Projekt Red, Cyberpunk 2077, uh, Quest Director, is it Pavel? I think Pavel Sasko, um, said in a recent PC Gamer Roundtable interview. Here's the quote. Everyone actually, after reading this article, said we mostly agree actually with the thesis at least when it comes to AAA, we are just running at an effing wall, I think, and we're going to crash on that wall really soon. This is at a round table. That you'd say that, like you might say it internally to your company, maybe, but even then you'd probably cause some pretty intense reactions, but yeah, this is yeah, external. Yeah. Yeah, this is at a roundtable. So Wes Fenlon over at PCGamer.com put the article together. Um, and when I saw this, I was like, what? What is going on? Because there was a... Okay, so 2077 started out really rough, and then it got really good, and then people kept on saying that it's got bugs and problems and issues and blah, 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 and things still aren't there that they promised were going to be there. Then they released a major update, in an expansion of the overall gameplay and it still didn't make everybody happy. Um, I ended up getting it because it went on sale. Um, but 
<clears throat> it has so much inside it in terms of uh, story and world mechanics and stuff that I'm still astonished that people care that much, um, that it seems like the people that are actually like the NPCs, um, they're, they're just kind of aimless, right? They don't seem to have any thing going on, but they do random talking and stuff to each other. I mean, the world is really alive. So I, I just don't get really the, the hate that, 2077 gets but then they say well the triple a game is so complex that it's no longer a, a tenable position sasco's comments above kicked off a discussion on the technology behind today's big budget games and the expansions or sorry the expectations players have for them the wall sasco referred to uh, is the ballooning complexity and expanse of making games like 20, uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Before it released, it was safe to say that many RPG uh, players assumed that if CD Project, Project Red um, had done a fantastic job with The Witcher 3, it should be able to do the same with Cyberpunk. And everybody loved The Witcher series, basically. Um, Witcher 3 uh, was just phenomenal. Um, but I, I think that the problem is that it is so big. It's so complex now to play these massively complex games that while they have story, the expectation is that they're either hyper-realistic or super fantastical well outside what would be needed for a great story driven environment, which means you need writers not an AI, an AI can set a lot of the stage, but it takes humans to inject emotion into that writing and make it a cogent story. So it's not that level of technology that's needed. It, you need humans to write engrossing stories. So it said, Witcher 3 has so many effing tricks, Sasko said, explaining one in particular, the way that it would often cut to black to stage scenes or transition between bits of a quest, letting the developer spawn or despawn objects, the change in weather or time of day. Quote, sometimes there's a, a scene of a guy behind a bar and he's like submerged waist up in the terrain because we didn't have animation. So he's just sitting there but he looks perfectly fine in that scene. And it looks like he uh, actually matches and everything works, but that's, that's part of the prog and it's me talking again, not that quote, but that's, that's because the story was spectacular. People really loved Witcher three. Hey Z, welcome to the show. Um, we're actually running really, really late. Um, so feel free to, uh, you know, comment and all of that. I, we're a little frazzled, by the way. It's been a really long day, um, but welcome to the show, Z. Really do appreciate you being here. Um, so it says, uh, then you look at Cyberpunk. No cuts, no black screens. You're in V. That's the lead character. You don't, you're not your own character. You are V. Um, oh, yeah, we're just fine. Um, thanks, Z. And... Um, so it says this article really sparked that discussion. So 
in 2077, you're basically always on. If you want to be always on, you can take breaks and walk away and the world freezes. Um, it's not an MMO RPG style world. Um, but when you are in it, it is always in motion. Something is always going on. And I've always loved that idea. But for whatever reason, 2077 got a lot of hate. But 2077 and games of that size are expected now. That complex, that dynamic, that alive. So much so that I saw another streamer talking about a game that's defined as being hyper-realistic and they were criticizing the shadows as not being real enough. Oh, wow. So, I mean, is that the real issue? Is that the gamers have just come to expect something that maybe not every company has the resources to execute or to re-execute well? Well, when you pay 15 to 17 to $2,000 for a video card that's supposed to enable this type of tech, damn straight. The, the people that are paying that money and, and then $60 for a game, $70 a game. Yeah, they, that's what they want. They, they either want, um, fantastical scenes or they want hyper realistic scenes, depending on what game they're playing, you know, call of duty, they want hyper realistic yet <clears throat> people are taking like full automatic fire to the chest and surviving that just doesn't happen in the real world so they want both the fantastical and the hyper realistic environment realistic but maybe it doesn't operate in a hyper realistic way right so much for not soapboxing today i i think what i need to do is not say that um and and then i rifle through all of the articles um, anyway, so then they end up talking about procedural generation, which basically is a random seed generated world where everything is dynamic and they talk about Wildermyth, um, and procedural generation. So every time you play it, it's new, um, unless you can find, find the seed and then that seed will be the same. Um, but they would have to expose that seed to you. Um, but procedural generation is another thing because it makes the game, uh, perpetually new. Um, but you have to create a story that is actualized in a dynamic environment, which isn't always uh, possible because you could say the story says you have to cross this river, but the river is way over there and the story drove you in the opposite direction. So now you have to go and find that, which means that the story has to be as dynamic as procedurally generated and then it might be chaos or it may be so automated that it lacks um evocation of any type of emotion you you just have nothing to it it's just go do this go do that um it's interesting but what he's saying is true the industry is driving you know mock 80 at uh solid wall and it's never going to meet the expectations of uh, customers at some point. It's just not going to be able to make it without 
rock solid, wonderful story writing that engrosses a person to play the game, regardless of how realistic or not the artwork is. Because I've played games where it's nothing but pixels for crying out loud. If the story and, you know, Stardew Valley is a lot of fun. It has a story and it's it's engrossing and you play it and people play it a lot. So World of Warcraft was great up until it started um, doing the grind world boss kind of all we're really doing is trying to get people that are really gung ho in the game um, and not in the story. Yet I've bought every expansion because I'm a knucklehead. Anyway, I think it's an interesting article uh, worth discussing. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, definitely click on that link and go over. Um, it's, it'll be in the show notes um, and um, it's actually in the VOD now. But anyway, go check it out. Let's move on to the next article. Um, this next one is. Do, 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 do. It's hard not to feel sorry for the overshadowed 1992 Dune game. I'm going to do this one really quick. Richard Cobbett is the uh, author of this or Kobe. I don't know. Um, they said we're rerunning Richard Kobe's classic crapshoot column in which he rolled the dice and took a chance on obscure games, both good and bad. I think it's interesting that this popped up uh, because there is a Dune game. I don't think it came out yet. Uh, um, I, I just closed Steam because it was driving me crazy. Um, but there's a new Dune game coming out. And this is the kind of thing where I go, oh, this could be great story driven because the Dune movie, movies, plural, and book do a great job of world building and it kind of pulls you into it. And now there's this new Dune part one and Dune part two. Um, that does expansive world building and realization, actualization of the, the real expanse of Dune. Um, Is so, that Dune Awakening, by the way? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it says planned release date to be announced on Steam. So, yeah, that's the, that's the new one. Um, let's see. Dun, 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 dun. Let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, I can't. I'm not going to load up Steam again. Um, anyway, um, so taking somebody's book, and by the way, there are uh, several other of the Dune books in existence, and then um, it wasn't his son. Doggone it, now my brain just went blank. Anyway, um, as you learn about dune it expands into world building that dune itself never really did so you learn about house atreides you learn about the um what was a jihad against artificial intelligence which i think is really interesting that we just got done talking about it for 40 minutes um something that ended up um compromising humanity and they blew each other up and all of the survivors took nuclear weapons off into space 
Um, and now they're at a standstill, uh, basically a cold war, but now they also have this drug called melange, the spice melange, um, that empowers fantastical stuff. So they end up talking about this, you know, 1992 game. Huh? I was going to say the son, Brian Herbert did take over for some of the franchise based on, um, the father's notes, etc. Yeah, see, I keep thinking that there's somebody else that took over, but I think that might be the Wheel of Time series. I get it all confused nowadays. I hardly it ever get to read. authored I think, Brian Herbert and Kevin Anderson. There you go. Um, and so they've done some world building off of that. Uh, but this here, it says, even now it's not, uh, sorry, it's hard to not feel sorry for Dune and indeed for its creators, Cryo, um, those aren't words you'll hear often because cryo output over the years was how to put it politely. It was not good. Cryo is still out by the way. Um, it was not good. Uh, it was not good at all. How to put it rudely. It's output was about the same as sewage plants intake. Wow. Say how we really think here. <laughs> Mostly it produced tedious games with. For the time, impressive visuals specializing in truly boring adventures, but occasionally branching out to inflict the likes of Hellboy on the world. Um, so you would have to read that link to. Um, so it's another Saturday crapshoot. So I'm going to just suggest going over and reading this article because I the previous article is about CD Projekt Red's quest designer saying that they're going to crash into a wall because of the complexity of the game. But all it takes, and this is the thing that drew my attention to it. Um, they talk about impressive visuals, but truly boring adventures. Right? So even if you were to reconstruct this game with this type of graphic, right? This, this world building, this stage, if the story was engrossing, well-written, people would pay 60 bucks for this because the story is so amazing. But I mean, maybe it's just me, but doesn't the movie or does the story in Dune not necessarily lend itself well to gaming? I mean, it's oh, kind no. of an epic story and it's not a, for instance, a fast paced or a frenetic um, storyline. It's a good storyline, but that doesn't suggest to me that that would be very well portrayed in a game. Well, you could make it a base building game that is similar to like Starcraft um, or Command and Conquer. And you play Paul Atreides telling him or you are the commander telling all of your troops to go off and do certain things between uh, story vignettes. So you have the ability to not make the game as linear as the book. But it's really all about the, the story. And then you do your base building and that triggers at some point for you to get back into the story and you do the line 
that leads to you having an opportunity to do to do more base building. And if you do it right, you could have House Harkonnen trying to take over Dune again, and you can break away from the storyline and and actually make it about the houses. And and instead of just doing the books, you can make it something that is new again um, and, and not just fixed in that history. Uh, but I'm sure some people will get miffed about me saying, hey, you can break away from the Dune. But I thought it was an interesting aside uh, based on the last article to talk about this because they actually mentioned in the article that it's the story that is really important. Um, good or bad, the, the story is what makes the game because people will play little pixel games as long as the story is engrossing. Um, you want to move on to the next? Yes. <laughs> okay. So the next article is over in the mobile channel and there you go in chat. So in the mobile channel, we have here are the most and least environmentally friendly states. It's a big transition from what we've been talking about, but life is holistic. So a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, you can't only have one flavor of beer folks. You got to try others. So the story at a glance, um, the, the study published by wallet hub ranked the 50 states on three factors, environmental quality, eco-friendly behaviors and climate change contributions. The greenest state is Vermont. The green mountain state, West Virginia was the least green state, which ranks 48th in environmental quality and eco-friendly behavior and last in climate change contributions. <laughs> Ow. Uh, this is it, the green mountain state, um, <clears throat> is because nature did the work, not because humans engaged in doing protective measures. So as the nation celebrates earth day, that's this weekend. Here's an analysis of which states are the most eco-friendly and which are falling behind Nick Robertson over at the hill. And, uh, they have this, uh, changing America, shared destiny, shared responsibility. Um, it's kind of like, uh, isn't it the New York times that has, is it the times, the times, um, that has, um, democracy yeah, dies in darkness, Washington post, Washington post. Yeah. Um, so, so I just want to say something. Vermont is the green, is mountain the green mountain state. state. Yeah. But it was so, written in an odd way and made it look like West Virginia was. And West Virginia is actually called the mountain state, which I find oh that very interesting given the comparison of these two. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So the green estate is Vermont. Okay. Uh, when I read that, I was like, huh? And, but I thought that that was accurate. So I'm glad that the AI uh, corrected me. So the, the greenest state is Vermont. West Virginia is the least green state, which ranks 48th in environmental. See, and eco-friendly behavior and last in uh, change contribution, climate change contributions. That seems like a green state, right? West Virginia. It has a ton of mining, though. And it has... 
not very, um, I guess, progressive climate policies. So it says environmental quality includes uh, factors like air, water, and soil pollution and energy efficiency. Eco-friendly behavior refers to aspects like the amount of solar panels, number of electric cars, and commute times. Hey, where's Wyoming in this? Um, climate change contributions cover carbon emissions and other greenhouse gases. It says for the DMV, Virginia grabbed the 17th spot over... Uh, Overall, while Maryland topped it in fifth, um, some argue climate change distracts from what they deem higher priority policies, but experts believe that eco-friendly behavior is not mutually exclusive with driving the economy forward. That I can agree. Um, <clears throat> we are kind of forcing everybody to switch over to uh EVs. Some states are actually decidedly against that whole process. Not quite sure why. Um, I mean, I know why, because they say it, but um, oh, this is a really short article. Anyway, uh, it says, but that doesn't mean that someone in a poor scoring state is out of luck or can't help the planet. There's a plethora of ways uh, someone can individually do their part. <laughs> See, but I while I agree that individuals play an, an important role in perpetuating a, an eco-friendly environment, it's really the industrial uh, partners that society is forced to be in partnership with. Even if America were to pivot to be hardcore green eco-friendly there are other countries out there that say, well, you all went through your industrial period. We should too. Right. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> tough to perhaps call out another country or state. Yeah. When its circumstances aren't necessarily the same or we're looking at it in hindsight. Um, having said that, I think all of us should be moving to the extent we can toward more environmentally friendly. Practices. You know what? Practices. Pick a side. You have to be, you have to get bent out of shape, AI. You can't just be level-headed about this. You, you have to get outraged. So Z says, uh, oof. I'm not sure uh, what the oof is in response to, because I saw it, but we had been talking, so I didn't um, stop at that moment. But I love this. I nah. it's for the three um, stats for the, <laughs> the lowest. Oh, all state. in one? Oh, for West Virginia? Yeah. Um, or it was me uh, well, forgetting yeah, what the Green Mountain State things. is. Um, <laughs> so uh, then Z pops in with, Nah, your plastic fork is totally screwing us. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't even like when I order out, I don't like uh, getting the, the plastic ware that comes with it. I'm like, yeah, oh, just keep that stuff. They're like, but you know, you're ordering an, enough food for six people. I'm like, yeah, I have one fork. I'm good. Maybe I'm just really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> don't judge me. Exactly. <laughs> Just charge me. Let me move on. Thank you very much. So if you want to move into a green state, see my problem with a lot of this stuff where they go, well, this state is this and this state is that is that 
some people will actually take this as like the impetus to relocate to a greener state. But really what I want are people to move into these ungreen states or what do you, what's the opposite of a green state? I was um, thinking non-green, but that's yeah. kind of the same. These non-green, I, I want them, I want people to move into non-green states and, and bring that level of awareness and enlightenment to the state to change the dynamic. It's like everybody who's talking about Florida right now going, oh my God, let's get out of Florida. No, the more people that vacate it means that it's going to lean even harder into its fascist state time to stop it you know but you know because uh, but if you're not in alignment with that location then it's difficult individually to <laughs> to make that decision yeah and z says that too you know same idea with people leaving red states for blue states and such yep I suppose you were writing that as I was saying it. So I'm glad that we're all on the same page. That, that actually is very important to me. So, um, because sometimes I feel like I am like reality is here and I'm just a little off center from it. And when I'm listening to somebody talk, I'm like, are we in a simulation? Right, am I experiencing the same things as this person? Because I'm not getting any of the same takeaways here. <laughs> none of this, none of this makes any sense. Z says, welcome to the echo chamber. No, I have no problem with somebody espousing a view that is different than mine. Uh, in fact, I was in somebody else's stream. Um, I'm actually regularly there because I want to listen to what this person says. But they straight up say they kick people out when they when somebody comes in and challenges what he says, because he's like, I'm not here to to discuss things with you in a in a way that is like to convert you. I'm way. here. Yeah, he, he said he says straight out that he is here so that he can be in an echo chamber of people who are cheerleading uh, the Democrat side, the more liberal side, the more, yeah. And I, I struggle with that because I totally embrace other people with uh, differing views as, as long as they're willing to discuss and possibly change their perspective. Um, just like I am with new, new information. Sometimes we need allies though. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, no one is an island unto themselves. Um, okay, so let's keep on hustling through the news. The next article is in the mobile channel as well. Nearly 70% of older gamers say they're an afterthought in video game developments, according to a survey. Um, I know nothing about this. Um, older I was gamers wondering are wondering what they were determining as older, <laughs> but I see it's in there. You see that line? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Considering this is coming from AARP, older gamers are feeling left out of the video game space. According to a new study from the American Association of Retired Persons, or AARP, a group supporting more than 38 million people over the age of 50. So if you're over 50, you're, you're assumed to be retired? See, that doesn't make any sense to me. 
Um, because most people, for instance, say 50 or 55 or 60, at least in the U.S., are not retired. Other countries, possibly, well, not really before 60, but I mean, my point is each country has different retirement ages. Yeah, France is protesting that right now. The young people of France are like setting the whole country on fire. Well, they just upped the retirement age. Yeah. If you can imagine if you were working toward retirement and then it suddenly, I don't know if people were um, subject to it, but I'm sure it was quite the, the adjustment. Oh, yeah. Well, they're still, they're setting the whole building on fire. People over 50 make up a, a significant proportion of gamers, but feel that developers aren't taking notice. The survey found almost 70% of older players said that they felt their demographic was an afterthought for game developers. Yeah, that's why there's easy mode for all of us old people. Um, about, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I probably shouldn't have said that because somebody's going to get upset with me. Um, about 45% of people in this age range play video games at least once a month. What? At least once a month? What kind of a tourist is that? Come on. Let's go over to the hill. Or I should say over the hill. <laughs> anyway, Nick Robertson at the hill wrote this article. Um, and they put Wordle on there. I love it. <laughs> I mean, maybe this is the problem. Maybe the premise of the survey was off. <laughs> Wordle. <laughs> boo. Z I don't says consider boo. that a video game. <laughs> yeah, that is not. My Twitch reflexes are not going to be provoked by Wordle. <laughs> Let me see how fast I can type this. It's not like that. Maybe that's why I have no Twitch reflexes because I'm too busy playing Wordle. Playing Wordle, yeah. An actual video game. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Older gamers tend to prefer puzzle logic and word games and prefer using the their mobile phones. However, the small proportion of console gamers has also doubled since 2019, now at 20, uh, 28%. See, and I think it this type of a survey is entirely predicated on the temporal aspects of life today. The people who are playing, uh, all of these, uh, hyper vigilant frenetic games are going to be eventually 50 years old and what are the modern games going to be like then even more frenetic more even more hyper vigilant well i really doubt it i think that they're going to be the same but it's not like when we get older we suddenly go you know what i prefer you know if i'm playing call of duty for 30 years i'm not going to suddenly go eh, i'm 50 i'm gonna just start playing wordle Right. I mean, this seemed to me like they were almost talking to two different populations of people, right? People who really like actual gaming versus, I don't know what the term is, but like casual gaming. Casual gaming right? would be the right one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two different cultures. You're, you're basically saying that they spoke to two different cultures, huh? I think so. And so I, I don't know that... But maybe I don't know what the stats are, but it, it doesn't seem indicative of what the article is being proposed um, to, to show. So it, 
That there is a link. <laughs> there is a link to the actual um, statistics um, from AARP.org, but you'll have to find them in the article. So follow the link through hometown and you, you can go and check it out. Let's let's hustle on to the next article. There isn't anything in this um, article's snippet, um, but it just says activists gather for Earth Day urge action to avoid dystopian future. I literally chose this book by its cover. Um, anything that says dystopian future on it, I'm pretty much okay. Let's see. You're selecting it. <laughs> is it is it because it, they're just being hyperbolic? You know, is it all panic and run? Um, let's see. So this is a Reuters article from CNBC, and there's a person here. The picture this is also a podcast so let me describe this picture a man is dressed as a tree walking on stilts past the houses of parliament at the big one environment uh, event which coincides with earth day in london i guess this is a treant yeah i was gonna say it looks like an ant to me but um yeah um i love gothic architecture that you just don't find stuff like this in the United States. You know, I don't know. Anyway, um, let's see. Pope Francis, who has championed green causes since his election in 2013, urged people to look after the environment while building massive structures out of... Never mind. Now wait a second. Those were probably centuries ago. You're right. They don't build massive structures anymore right never <laughs> taller and <laughs> right all over the place no um never mind so about thirty thousand people have signed up for family friendly rallies marches marking a a change in strategy for a group known for its disruptive tactics including blocking roads throwing paint and smashing windows well it's probably because they've learned their lesson that they can't just glue themselves to a car because the the manufacturer will just go okay See you later and then leave for the weekend. That's actually happened. Environmentalists glued themselves to a to cars in a dealership and everybody just said, see ya. <laughs> and left well, them there. Interesting. I bet that was actually effective. <laughs> yeah, you're going to think tw twice when you are like a stuck in a glue trap and you have to gnaw your arm off. So in Peru, shamans on Friday made an offering to Pachamama or Mother Earth. Holding yellow flowers and rattles and shamans walked around a papier-mâché. Papier I, I don't like saying it like that. A papier-mâché globe as they performed a cleansing ritual. Um, yeah, there's a lot of activities that are going on to try and save the Earth. I know one of them. Keep the damn trains on their tracks. Yeah, that would go a long way <laughs> toward helping this. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Care about safety and the ecosystem and uh, not Care worry about, about future generations. <laughs> there, I, I don't know what it is. You know, there's there's something where profits and society are at odds, you know, where the. Okay, I said I wasn't going to soapbox on every article, so I'm just going to move on. Everybody, it's Earth Day. Go out and save the Earth. 
be the change you want to see in the world. But not just on Earth Day. Not Do just on Earth day. day. That's right. Every day. So uh, the next article is over in the Daily News Show. After California's heavy rains, gold seekers are giddy. Z. It, so Z just scooted the soapbox closer. So I might have to do this at some point. We have a few more articles, so. Maybe I can. Thanks, Z. OK, so the next article is over on the Daily News Show after heavy rains in California. Gold seekers are giddy. I would love to do this. I used to do this um, uh, in California. Um, periodically, but I have not done it in so long that just going out and trying this nowadays would, would be exciting. And it really is because what you do is just dig some dirt and throw it in a pan and shift it around until something shiny pops up and then you're rich. Um, and then you have to do that mighty 49 or yeehaw. <laughs> no. Is that part of necessity? <laughs> it is. It's required. You have to, because you have overalls and you have to do that. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. My voice just let out a squeak and not a y'all. Anyway, the mother load of winter storms has sent water blasting through rock crevices and uh, rivers in the Sierra Nevada, leading to more glittering discoveries by prospectors. Uh, no, Z, if you go gold prospecting, you have to act like a, 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 you know, 1800s era prospector. That's just the way it works. Because what you do is you grab your pan and you run out into the stream and you, <laughs> this guy's a little bit invested, but just a bit. Is he snorkeling? <laughs> he's snorkeling in a, in a creek. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, get out of the creek. You're drunk. <laughs> wow. In just 20 minutes of rooting around the creek bed, Albert Fossil had found more than, or I uh, found a, about a hundred dollars worth of gold. Okay. Well, I guess if you're going to, what is it? Catfish noodling? You're, oh, but this is no. gold noodling. Uh, you can't knock it, right? Don't knock. Don't yuck somebody's yum. This is the way it works. So it, the way that weathering works is water is pouring from the mountains and is just gouging out all of the dirt and debris. And sometimes that dirt and debris contains some gold and the heavy gold sinks to the bottom and you can just dig it up, sift it. Gold noodling is safer and doesn't feel as weird, I suppose. I've never done catfish noodling, Z. But, uh, I don't think anybody should do that. <laughs> just, okay, so because I don't know who all is actually listening to this, but catfish noodling, if you've never heard of it, is you basically take your arms and you stick them under rocks and hope that a catfish nobbles onto your arm and then you just grab it and lift and ta-da, you have catfish hands. Just got up your arm. And ta-da, you have a catfish arm. Z says it's very common here. They kicked me out of the mall for doing that. Why were there catfish in the mall? 
Oh no, Z, please. Oh no, I did not. Oh, I'm very sorry. That, oh my gosh, really? Do I want to say this out loud? I'm going to have to say the quiet part out loud. Lost a couple friends from them getting caught up under the current while noodling. Oh, wow. That is no horrendous. I'm so, so sorry. Dangerous. Yeah. Okay, everybody. No more catfish noodling, only gold noodling. You can bring a snorkel. <laughs> this person is way invested. I've never so, heard of anybody snorkeling for gold. Uh, not in a creek, but uh, underwater, oh, like in the like ocean. That. Yes, that's true. But in a lake, lake, sure. Yeah, so Z, I agree. Gold noodling is much safer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the guy's into it big time. I agree. So amateur gold seeker Mr. Fossil used his gloved fingers to sweep aside the sand and gravel at the bottom of the creek and then, still underwater, let out a cry that was audible through the tube of his snorkel. Woo-hoo-hoo. It doesn't come sound out like that. Echo? I don't know what happens when you like speak through your snorkel. It, it does not sound like woo hoo hoo. That's an interpretation of <gasps> because you can't actually articulate anything. Right. Because <laughs> you can't open your mouth really. Yeah, you can't move your lips or anything. You're you're basically that's an interpretation of what they heard. So so there you go. Look at that. Little vial of gold. It and it's own natural, you know, all there's no chemicals involved in this. No hydraulic fracking. No, no, nothing. You just go out there and dig a little hole and throw it into the pan right here and shift it this way and that until you have gold. I don't know how much gold is worth right now. Several thousand at least. So this is over at Placerville. A lot of people are talking about Placerville because... Well, it's always been a place to go and get gold. It's been nearly 175 years since the gold rush that drew countless wagons and ships filled with prospectors, but the foothills of the Sierra Nevada are still home to a quirky group of gold seekers, heavy on beards and flannel, who pour over old maps of the site of a now-vanished saloon or walk the backcountry searching for nuggets and other artifacts. I'm getting my accent on. Blazerville is a 15-minute drive from the valley where James Marshall, a carpenter from New Jersey, was building a sawmill in January 1848 along the American River when something shiny in the water caught his eye. Some kind of metal, wrote one of his workers in his diary in the quirky spelling of the time, as one does. That looks like gold. I'm on board. So okay, AI. $2,000 an ounce. We're packing our bags and our server, and we're heading to Placerville. I found my calling. I want to be a mighty 49er, and I want to go and dig holes and uh, shift them left and right and get some gold in them there hills. Oh, Z, you, you typed that right when I said it. That is beautiful. We are sharing the same brain cell. Are you a wizard? By the way, the AI is looking at me with that 
So the AI is actually nothing more than cascading uh, alphanumeric cryptic code, kind of like the matrix. And uh, I can discern their reaction to my words. And boy, they're just looking at me like I am a complete idiot. Anyway, if you are interested in this kind of stuff, because of all of the weathering that's taking place in California right now, people are finding this stuff, but you had better be ready uh, to live a hardened life because you're going to have to climb out into the hills and that's where it is. Bring your uh, sluices and your pans and just start going to town on this dirt here and uh, eventually that's what it looks like right there typically in that black sand you're gonna get the little pieces little flakes of gold and then you get your little sniffer cup or whatever what that's a sniffer bottle you 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 squeeze it and you pull the water in and it usually grabs uh, some of the gold as well and uh, there you have it thousands of dollars just waiting just waiting what do you think? How about that? We'll just go. Oh, look at that. A tray of gold pieces that Mr. Dayton has found in the past few weeks. I guess you just stay out there for months at a time. Okay, you've lost me there. <laughs> <laughs> Your shower is nothing but a dip in the, in the creek. And you hope you don't get eaten by a mountain lion. All right, let's move on to the next article. <laughs> so since we're not going to move out into the hills, how about we spend $48,000 to convert the Portland home, Portland, Oregon home, to be specific, to net zero. Quote, the future is efficient and renewable. Ryan Shanahan bought his house in Portland for $275,000 in 2014. Since then, he and his partner have spent $48,000 to make the home climate friendly. Remember, it's Earth Day weekend, folks. We're trying to save the planet. Zachary Green and Celia Fernandez wrote this article for CNBC.com. They put solar panels on there. Uh, what else? Let's see what else they did. To be net zero is to cut greenhouse gas emissions uh, to as close to zero. Well, no, if you're net zero, that's zero. You have to be precise and accurate. Anyway, um, with any remaining emissions reabsorbed from the atmosphere by oceans and forests, for instance, according to the United Nations, quote, my mantra, not mine, it's a quote from the article. My mantra is that the future is efficient, electric, and renewable. Shanahan tells CNBC, make it. He is a zero energy retrofits manager at Birdsmouth or Birdsmouth. I think in the UK it would be pronounced Birdsmouth. I don't know here. Anyway, a zero energy housing company. So this is more like marketing than it is an right, individualistic random person learning to do this right um so yeah it, the article says he advises clients on how to convert their existing property into a net zero building 
I hope that he's doing this for industrial spaces, not just residential, because it isn't residential that's doing a lot of this a drain and impact on the environment. I mean, by proxy, I guess, you know, big businesses do stuff so that consumers purchase their goods. Are we the baddies? Okay, that I silence that probably. Was, I thought that was rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> so to buy the house, Shane Han took advantage of a $15,000 forgivable loan from Oregon's down payment assistance program. That's nice of Oregon. The program helps Oregonians buy uh, homes with assistance from the state's approved mortgage lenders. Oregonians makes it sound like he's from another planet. <laughs> yeah. The couple's monthly payment uh, adds up to $2,014, including tax and homeowners insurance. This article seems really, really invasive. <laughs> I guess they're very forthcoming. Business Insider? Huh? Oh, no, it's MSNBC. I thought it was from Business Insider because they tend to feature a lot of these. This is how I made money off to the side or but and it's not from Business Insider. This is CNBC. Right. Um. So in 2019, the couple started a three-month journey to retrofit their house to net zero. In total, they spent $61,000, but the article started at 48000 or forty, Yeah, 48000 Okay. Um, anyway, that number was reduced to 48325 the after the couple received several tax credits, rebates, and incentives from the state of Oregon and the federal government. Again... When you start reading these articles, I don't know what it is about my brain, but I always start peeling back the layers of the onion. Not everybody is going to get any of these additional goodies from their city, state, or federal government. So the real number is $61,000. Plus the fact that they had a $15,000 mortgage forgiveness, which isn't going to be part and parcel to every state or federal government offer. So they're actually looking more at $77,000 that they spent or almost one third the price of their home. Yeah. Oh, and they took out a $100,000 home equity line of credit uh, for the renovations, which has an interest rate that is higher than usual, according to the Oregon State Credit Union. The couple allots $1,250 a month to pay down that credit as fast as possible. So I'm really curious because they say that they bought the house for $275,000, um, had $15,000 forgiven. Their monthly uh, payment is $2,000 and they got a $100,000 HELOC, which Unless there is equity, you can't get a home equity loan. Exactly. Yeah, that didn't make a lot of sense to me um, because they couldn't have that much or they probably didn't have that much equity in their house. Oh, but they probably did because from 2014 the, to 2019 the value would have gone up. And so they built equity without making payments toward it. Maybe. Yeah. So again, not everybody has that increase in their property values. 
I just think that articles need to be a little bit more realistic. You know, it's just like sports and music and all of this. People have aspirations to be like this, but the opportunity is not always there. So you have to be more realistic. Otherwise, people have irrational expectations for their particular performance. Look, I know all about dreaming, folks, and uh, dreaming repeatedly and not having it realized can put you in a mood. <laughs> so anyway, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, many states have different options, but you'll have to look into it. Um, this person might have been really connected with people that afforded them the knowledge because the enterprise that he's in focuses on taking advantage of these particular programs. So again, not everybody will have this uh, offered to them. By the way, just to draw home that, uh, that point, this person works for a company that advises clients on how to convert their existing property into a net zero building. So if you're interested in that, seek out a company that does that but you're going to have to count on paying a consultant and usually it's not cheap. So anyway, I think it's cool, but again, I just think that it's not realistic to have everybody ha expect that type of performance. It's just not possible. Um, whoop. let's see. Oh, I messed that up. So let me throw the next article into um, the chat. Did you want to add anything to that other article? No. Yeah. So the next article is in the Mobile channel and uh, research on 2400 languages shows nearly half the world's language diversity is at risk. I think this is kind of sad, um, but it is the way of society. Right. Languages evolve. Some go, some go extinct, some emerge. Yep. Um, you know, well, anyway, there are more than 7,000 languages in the world and their grammar can vary a lot. Linguists are interested in these differences because they tell us uh, a lot about our history, our cognitive abilities and what it means to be human. Totally agree. I think we, though, have the technology nowadays that we could extract this from the people who do have this uh, ability so whatever language that is being spoken, I think that we need to have field researchers out there and acquire all of this so that we retain, at least in our knowledge of our past, that language diversity. Um, and <laughs> as sad as this is going to sound, we would be able to synthesize it because we have the ability now to do exactly that. We can take and I've, I've said this in past uh, streams, a decade ago, I used Python to take people's phonemes from a short sentence and turn it into any other sentence that I constructed in a text file. So it's not that hard. A decade ago, it absolutely a piece of cake to record people today. We just need to be interested in saving our past history and, uh, and not even distant. This is our near history. So well, it seems like now we have much better means to do that. So mm -hmm. why wouldn't we do that? Yeah, I'm not, I'm really not sure. Um, but they say that half the world's language diversity is at risk. 
But that's because that's what has happened in history. We have lost dialects, you know, probably tens of thousands of dialects of languages over our entire human history, not to mention entire languages. We don't know what people sounded like a thousand years ago. Um, so research on these 2,400 languages shows nearly half of the world's language diversity is at risk. Oh, I wish that I was a better linguist. So Hedvig Skiergaard, Skiergaard, sorry, and Simon Greenhill, Greenhill, um, from the conversation, which is a podcast, um, you should be able to go and check that out over in uh, wherever you get your pods caught. Um, it says, but this great diversity is threatened as more and more languages aren't taught to children and fall into slumber. Yeah, you can't really argue with that. So in, in a new paper published in Science Advances, uh, they've launched an extensive database of language grammars called GramBank. With this resource, we can answer uh, many research questions about language and see how many grammatical diver or how much grammatical diversity we may lose if the crisis isn't stopped. You're not going to stop it. Society doesn't want a language. The language dies. But we don't have to lose it forever. We can capture what we can, just like knowledge. You don't want to just silo that knowledge somewhere. And then when that person you know, passes away, that knowledge is gone forever. We really should strive to acquire as much knowledge as possible from everybody. Um, anyway, there. I have to say something. This article is about grammar in part, and there are, I think, three issues in a couple of lines. There's an isn't, that's smart. There's an isn't without an apostrophe. There's two words that should be weirs, like W-E apostrophe R-E. And I've only just looked at that little section. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. I thought that was wow. kind of taken away from the article. <laughs> wow. The, the AI throwing shade. Uh, I think we just lost another sponsor. Not that they're a sponsor now, but they're definitely not going to be a sponsor. They're not going to be cheerleading us anytime soon. The AI is throwing shade at the article. Wow. Wow. Not even I would do that. My gosh. Why? Oh, I found another one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Um, you're not allowed to parse these articles anymore for grammar. I'm going to delete that. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, what the heck? No, don't read it like that. Don't stop analyzing. Oh, no. Oh, I'm not kidding. There's another one. <laughs> I don't know what happened with their autocorrect or their spell checker. Their grammar checker. Right. Uh, by the way, if you're a writer and you're looking for a good editor, I have an AI that is spectacular. Our findings are alarming. We're losing languages. We're losing language diversity. And unless we do something, these windows into our collective history will close. It has in our historical record that it's closed. So do something. Capture it now. Go to all of the... Uh, the AI is exploding about this grammar. I'm trying not to look. <laughs> so they created Gram Bank. So... It says it was a difficult task. 
grammars of different languages can be very different from each other. Moreover, uh, different people have different ways of describing how these rules work. Linguists love jargon, so it was a special challenge to understand them sometimes. In GramBank, they used 195 questions to compare more than 2,400 languages, including two signed languages. That's spectacular. Uh, the map below provides an overview of what they've captured. So wait, this is a graph. That is a map. The map was above, not below. Uh, okay, I quit. Anyway, I think that it's really important for us to capture as much information about humanity as possible um, so that we know how far from which we fall when we actually do the analysis, at least in the short term. Maybe that was a little bit too cynical. So what's next? Without sustained support for language revitalization, many people will be harmed and our shared linguistic window into human history, cognition, and culture will become seriously fragmented. And that is humanity. That is society. That is culture. That's everything. We are dynamic and living. So losing something means that, well, we've gone in a different direction. And uh, I mean, it's a shame, but... If we change direction, then we change direction, capture it while we can remember it and uh, always be able to look back and say, this is how we were. Let's move on to the next. Go ahead. I just wanted to point out, it says the UN declared um, 2022 to 2032, the decade of indigenous languages. So cool. maybe there will be an increased um, emphasis on recording some of those languages, et cetera. Man, as I was reading that, I was like, what? Angelina Jolie? Oh, Joshua. Angelina Joshua. Cool. To get a feel for what this can be like, check out this uh, interactive animation by Angelina Joshua. There is a link at the bottom of that article uh, that is linked there in the show notes. Feel free to click that. It'll take you to this and then you click on visit the source and it'll take you right to the source. Um, I always say go visit the source and, and pay them the uh, attention they deserve and then come on back and you can sign in, leave a comment, hang out. <coughs> I try to, well, I tend not to make comments on, on my own site uh, because I wanna talk here live on the stream. Pardon me one second. Ah, the air's always dry in the office in hometown. So let's move on to the next article uh, before I start coughing again. So this is the last one for tonight. Oh, doggone it. I did it again. I always hit control C instead of control V when I go over to the chat. I, I don't know why. I think chat control C. I don't know. Pretty stupid, but anyway. So the last article for tonight is the Daily News Show article about um, drug suspect takes off with sheriff's meth after sting fails. So my brain instantly went to sheriff's meth. Why does the sheriff have meth and what does sting have to do with this? It's not even Dune for crying out loud. Sting was in Dune. If you, you didn't know that. 
didn't he was, know that. He was Fade Rotha. Anyway, um, so authorities say a suspected drug trafficker is on the run with nearly 60 pounds of methamphetamine belonging to a California Sheriff's Department. <clears throat> Talk about perks of being a sheriff. You get meth. Did I read that wrong? Uh, back to the grammar. So this is in Riverside, California. A suspected drug trafficker is on the run with nearly 60 pounds of meth or 27 kilograms. We're international here in Gnometown. Uh, belonging to a sheriff's uh, department after an undercover sting went wrong. According to the Press Enterprise, uh, it's actually from the Associated Press over at ABC News, but you know how things work in the news. This person writes it, somebody else sees it, somebody else writes about it, somebody else sees it and writes about that being seen somewhere and so on and so forth. Six degrees of separation. Yeah, you know that swallowed the fly, the... Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's that one called again? You remember? Yeah, I can never I can never remember when it's important. Anyway, authorities set up a sting Wednesday in an attempt to identify drug traffickers. Undercover deputies met with the suspect for the drug sale and the suspect later drove away. Deputies from the gang task force attempted to pull over the suspect who refused to yield and sped off. Interesting. Due to the high speeds and suspects disregard for public safety, deputies lost sight of the vehicle. It's almost daily that you watch this in L.A., but apparently not in Riverside. They got away. Well, that's because it's not L.A. and they don't have maybe the same infrastructure like the pseudo famous helicopter pilot who's always tracking the L.A. car chases. Yeah. By the way, the song is the old lady who swallowed a fly. Oh, the old. Yeah. See, context clues are there in the lyrics or there was an old lady sorry swallowed a fly. there was an old lady that swallowed a fly well in this case it's there was a suspected drug trafficker that stole sheriff's department meth <clears throat> so apparently all it took was a high-speed pursuit and they decided they decided okay we'll let them go you know what's interesting about this though is maybe they put inside all of that meth um one of the apple uh trackers the little well, that would air be tags and of course if they did they're not going to announce that right they're going to go oh oops and now they know exactly where they am they are they am now my my speech is broken grammatically now you need grambot or i think that was the name of it yeah, I don't know if that'll help me. Pretty interesting. I, I'm not going to drag this out. They're, they're uh, <laughs> high on the hog with meth, and uh, they took the high road and uh, got away. <clears throat> it was a high-speed pursuit, and they didn't want to risk it anymore, so they let them go. Shall I go on? <laughs> Pass the... Uh... <laughs> if they get captured, they will not be charged with a meth demeanor. 
Ah, ugh. The high road. Yes, Z, I said it. I said it. I said a lot of stuff just now. And <laughs> mm, I'm going to leave it all in there. You know, this is how the sausage is made, folks. What's wrong with meth demeanor? I think that's a great joke. Oh, gosh. I just tell them, folks. I could throw the AI under the bus and say, I asked the AI for jokes, and that's what they sent me. Now, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I don't think the AI has ever said meth demeanor <laughs> until now. <laughs> until now. Mm-hmm. Now it's in your large language model. So, folks, that is it for tonight. The hometown daily news show is done. I always take you back to the welcome sign, which isn't there anymore. I kind of joke about that because I, I took down the sign and now I'm going to put a little sign up that says get off my lawn. No, uh, come and hang out. Really appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with me. If you have any questions or comments or anything, you can always send an email or you can see me in discord or you can see me in countless other chats under Mayor Watt. One regularly, Dunkstar, D-U-N-C-S-T-A-R, my favorite late at night. Well, for me, they're in another part of the uh, Omniverse that is Twitch. Um, awesome. Z is usually there. The AI from Omtown is not there. They power down for the night. So they can focus on grammar the next day. Anyway, if you go over to hometown.com, you'll always get new news. At the end of every show, I click the little logo and ta-da, we get some new news. And then we end up talking about whatever might be on that front page just for a split second. See if there's something interesting. Is there anything interesting? Should I just shut it all shut all of this down? I don't know if there's anything on the the front page i mean today is a quiet news day today is a quiet news day i think everybody is concentrating on it being well Earth there's day. a cyber attack article that might be interesting a cyber attack did That's i miss on it a, some casinos oh near the top gateway there. casino confirms cyber attack on ontario it infrastructure z if you're taking off thanks for coming you are always awesome. Oh, yeah. And Timeless underscore EXE, another streamer over on Twitch. Go and check Timeless out. They, are, too, are an AI. Dun, dun, dun. Um, sometime around midnight each night. At least here on the East Coast, it's midnight. They're from South Africa. So they have a different time zone. Something in the UK. I should probably know that now. Anyway, that's it for tonight, folks. want to thank you for coming and hanging out. I'm leaving all of this in, and it was a two-hour episode. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. Okay, that's it. I'm going to say goodnight. See you tomorrow, 9 p.m., and I'll make up for it. It'll be a 45-minute show. So <laughs> double that <laughs> for two hours. It'll be a 45 minute show for two hours. <laughs> okay, that's it. I'm going to say good night. Good night, everybody. AI, you want to say good night? 
Uh, sure. Good night, hometown <laughs> citizens. <laughs> well, you already said good night. <laughs> good night, everybody. Thank you.